Thank you all for that, Rachel, Krista. This morning, if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans and chapter 5. As you know, we've been in a series on the atonement. This is our third week. We talked about what atonement is the first week. Being at one with God, reconciled with God, expiated from our sin, all by the work of Christ. And last week we talked about the need for atonement. So we said, look, uh, there was a fall. (laughs) And we fell far, and yet look at what He's done, God has done, in order to reconcile us to Himself. And so this morning, I want to pick up with some of these thoughts and move forward on some of the how of this thing. So we talked about the why. Uh, Now we move to how is this accomplished. Notice what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. I want to look from 12 to 21. We're kind of jumping midstream here into what he's saying. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned that one man much more, or sorry, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to our God. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, You are the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit brings this scriptural word to us today through the inspiration of St. Paul. 
Lord, would You apply Your words to our hearts this morning by Your grace and help us to respond in faith and obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He died is a fact. That He died for us is the meaning of that fact. So yes, He died. That's not questioned. Paul says that's a fact. 1 Corinthians 15. We looked at that a few weeks back when we were talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that He died for us in our place. Kind of two different movements. He died for another, for us, namely. And that He died in our place as the sacrificial lamb. These things talk about and get at the meaning of atonement. So, again, it's like I've said before, we know the answer. The answer is the cross. The answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What was the problem? What Paul here is talking about, is he not here? The problem and the solution. Represented in two figureheads or two representatives, two heads of the human race, namely Adam and Jesus. <laughs> now, Paul can get complicated. Can I get an amen? If you've ever read St. Paul in his epistles, you know that uh, things are connected, you have their structural issues here. He's very theological. And he assumes you know a lot more than normally we really know. Myself including. And so I'm thinking, Paul, what are you saying here? What are you doing here really? And so I ask that question today. What is Paul doing here? What we're going to talk about today is the atonement again. How God made us one by Jesus Christ. And what that means for us in particular today what I call the great reversal. And I'm not the only one who's called it that. Uh, Notice in Genesis, what we dealt with last week in chapter 11, you have kind of the culminating uh, event here with the Tower of Babel. Right? So we sin in chapter 3. We can't even get three chapters into the book before we botch it up. Sound familiar? Yeah. It does for my life. So chapter 1 and 2, everything is good. Everything is perfect. Everything is created by God. And it's good. Very good, he says. However, in chapter 3, we disobey God. I say we because Paul uses that same kind of reference here. He said, because all sinned. All sinned where? In Adam. Apparently, Adam is a figurehead, a representative of the whole human race, which is what his name means. Adam means mankind. So mankind sinned. And just as my children, so to speak, were in my loins, to use an old King James Version type of language, so too we were in Adam. All of us are from the line of Adam. Didn't you read the Chronicles of Narnia? Son of Adam. Daughters of Eve. We are in the line of those who have sinned, Paul said. 
And because of that, we too sin. We do what our Father has done. And He was a sinner, therefore we're sinners. John will identify that our true Father in our natural state is Satan. We lie. And so does He. He's the Lord of liars. And He's also their Father. In our natural state, we are broken. In our natural state, as we left off last week, <coughs> we are in need of a Savior. We're not in need of ourself to just kind of pull up our bootstraps and do it ourselves. I just need to try harder. No, you need to give up your life. That's the only way to new life is to give up your life. And so in Genesis 3 and verse 4, sorry, 14, you actually have a promise that's made. And it says that through the woman will come one who will be the Savior of all the world. He'll crush the serpent's head and bruise his heel. We fail God, and yet God makes us a promise of atonement. That He's going to cover our sin, that He's going to take care of this thing, that He's going to reconcile us to Himself. We were separated. We were divided from Christ, from God. There was a spiritual death that occurred, and God promises already in chapter 3, the same chapter where we fell, He promises us that there will be redemption, that there will be atonement, that we will be made one with God. Now, back to Romans. Romans begins in in chapter 1. Just as as a summary here, chapter 1 deals with the fact that Gentiles, which is anybody that's not Jewish, I'd imagine everyone in this room, Gentiles have sinned against God. That Gentiles were not given the law, and yet their conscience became a law. They knew what to do, and yet they suppressed the truth and did not do it, and instead followed their own selfish ambition and selfish nature, the flesh what Paul calls the flesh. They followed their natural state. And they sinned. Then he goes to chapter 2 and he says, Now, to you Jews, you have been given the law. God even told you what to do and what not to do. He gave you the promises. He delivered you. And yet, you too have sinned. Chapter 3, his conclusion... No one is righteous, not even one. That's quoting from a psalm. And then he says, for, in other words, the reason here, the point here is, all have sinned and all fall short of what God intended, of His image. God's image in our life has been marred. Through the use of our freedom... We disobeyed God and His image has been darkened in our lives. In our natural state, we don't act like God. That's why you don't have to teach children to lie. You don't have to teach children to say, Mine! I had a discussion the other day with a student 
And he said, no, all those things are learned from the home, which meant that at two years old, I was, you know, Baylor, Saul, one of us lied to each other and somehow picked that up. That it wasn't in his nature to do it, but rather he somehow psychologically picked it up. Now, we don't go around lying to each other around our house. That's not what we do. Also, I said, I don't go around saying, Mine, Jessica, mine! It's all mine! And start throwing a fit and throwing myself in the floor. No one does that at our house. No one does that on the TV shows they watch, or in the books that they read, or the church that they go to, or the events that they attend. And yet, this is what they do. Mine. It's all mine. Why? Because we've turned inward. As soon as we failed God, as soon as we took our eyes off God, we had to make something God. And what was that something? It was me. Someone will reign in your life. You or God. An idol or God. That's the only two options we have, you know. I mean, read Psalm 1. There's only two options. The way that leads to death, going your way or God's way. So chapter 3, Paul concludes, look, all have sinned. There's not anyone that has ever lived that did not sin. And we're born with this bent brokenness that aims us towards sinning. We're in bondage. I think again of the matrix. You're a slave, Neo. The Scripture's telling us, you're a slave. You may not know it, but you're a slave to yourself until you meet Jesus Christ. Until He frees you from yourself, you are in bondage and worshiping your own self. It's like the old... Uh, show said, we've met the enemy and the enemy is us. Exactly. Chapter 4 gives us the answer. Faith. We're justified by faith. Who's the example? The premier example in all of the Bible, not just here in Romans, is Abraham. Abraham. Now just remember, let me connect this for you. Chapter 11 is where we left off last week, right? We talked about Tower of Babel. Everything's going to pot. Everything's swirling around and being flushed down the toilet. The whole thing. You're thinking, what is going on in this world? I mean, if you'd never heard of this world, you didn't live in this world, and you were reading about this world, you think, this is a terrible place. Everybody does whatever is right in their own eyes, and that continually. And God tries to cleanse the earth, and even after that, they start sinning again. They start disobeying God again. Everybody is doing that. And then finally, in chapter 12, you get relief. Finally, in chapter 12, there's one man who is called to follow God, and he says yes. (laughs) And because of this one man's obedience, this one man's faith to go with God, we're all affected. Remember, he is the father of our faith. He is. He's the father of faith. Father Abraham had many sons. You know, I keep doing that because to remind you, he is the premier example of how we are to trust God. All he had was a promise, and he trusted God. 
He did not have circumcision. He did not have baptism. He did not have the Lord's Supper. He didn't even have Jesus. He didn't have the law. He didn't have a bunch of miracles. He had a promise. And he trusted God. You see the point there? Are you willing to trust God with that childlike kind of faith? You know, because you tell a kid, hey, I'll give you a piece of gum after the service. You're going to forget about that. Unless you're Bob, who gets ransacked every Sunday by kids. But I'm going to forget about it. You think that kid's going to forget about it? If I tell Jackson we're going to do something in a week, you think he's going to forget about that? No, 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 let me tell you something. He's like his mother. He does not forget. (laughs) Childlike faith. That's what Abraham had. He said, hey, you say it, I believe it. I expect it. Let's go. You say, you say leave? Let's do it. Let's go. That's all I got is, is a promise. Are we willing to trust God on a promise? Chapter 5 here begins to say, look, there's a new Adam in town. <laughs> That's what 5 is saying. There's a new Adam in town. He's going to take on the old Adam. You know, the OK Corral. You know, the tumbleweed. Okay, yeah. He's here to redo what we couldn't do. It's the great reversal. God becomes one of us in order to raise us up. In order to save us. (laughs) That's what Paul's saying here. Look, he does a comparison through contrast here in chapter 5. Adam becomes death. Adam becomes sin. All sin in Adam, all are affected by Adam without your permission. That's how the trespass works. That's how bondage always works. Is bondage, slavery is always without your permission. But that's not how the gift is, is it? No, see, see, the gift is not like the trespass, Paul says. Rather, the gift must be received. It is not forced upon you. That's not love. Love is never forced. No, to really love is to freely give yourself, to open yourself. It's a choice. You must receive the gift. So whereas the one man, Adam, and you probably got tired of Paul going back and forth, Adam, Christ, the one man, the trespass, the righteousness, the condemnation, back and forth. He's contrasting. We can spend the rest of the day here, which I'd love to do, but time-wise we can't. So I'm going to summarize for you what's going on here. There's a new Adam in town. And he's going to untangle us from the mess we've gotten into. You know, when you're doing math, which I don't do, ever, my my only math class in college was math for ministry, which was doing budgets. So that shows you how far I got. I never even took Algebra 2. I shouldn't be recording this, but oh well. I, don't, I took a computer science class and they counted that for Algebra 2. Thank the Lord. But when you're doing Algebra and you get the wrong sum, the sum total is wrong, you got to go back. That's the only way to complete the problem. you got to go back and find the problem and fix it from there. Sometimes you got to 
do the whole thing over. In our case, our sum total in the human race is wrong. We're sin and sinners. We have a problem. We have a problem that keeps us away from God, keeps us away from one another, and even from creation, the Bible says. Even creation longs for the revealing of the sons of God, Romans 8. So everything has been cut off because of sin. That's what death is, you know, is being cut off. That's it. And look what God has done. He's taken death on. You know. Right? He's at a confrontation with Satan and death. You know Satan's drooling at the cross, laughing uproariously at Jesus, at the Son of God. What is he doing? What a stupid plan. To die, to be mocked, to be spat upon. What good is that going to do? To have his life snuffed out at 33 years old. No good can come from that. Or can it? As Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia informs the children, there is an older, deeper magic that the white witch is not aware of. That's of sacrifice. Sacrifice. You see the same thing in Harry Potter, by the way. The whole reason that he's able to be protected from evil is because his mother sacrificed her life for him. You see, even in our, even in our movies and epic stories, people pick up on the fact of reality. And that is, sacrifice means something in our world. It's the name of the game. It's what we've been called to do is to be a living sacrifice. Romans 12. You say, boy, you're quoting, quoting from Romans a lot here today. Look, Romans is Paul's magnum opus. It's his premier work. It is very theological and systematically laid out. It's the only one who did. Because the other books and letters were written on the go. He was in prison in some of them. He didn't have time to sit there and think through his thoughts a lot. He's laying some things out very quickly to respond to Corinthians, very quickly to get out to the Ephesians and so on and so forth. In Romans, apparently he had more time and he didn't know them, and so he gives us and lays out an order of salvation. Ordo salutis. It's beautiful. Romans is an amazing book. And it's the first of the epistles, which is kind of helpful. Living sacrifices. That's what we're called to be. Not living for ourselves. That's the opposite here. That goes along with Adam. Are you in the line of Adam or of Christ? In Adam, there's condemnation. Death. Sin. Under Christ, there's life. Grace, eternal life, justification, reconciliation, atonement. Again, two ways. Adam or Christ. 
He has reversed the evil done to us. He has set us free in Christ. He has already reconciled us to God in Jesus Christ. But you must choose to live in Christ. We're naturally sons of Adam. Not naturally sons of God. That's why we must be born again. We're born under the curse of Adam. But we can be reborn by the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ. As we talked about in our small groups this week. The dove that descends to bring new life. A recreation. Has He done that in your life? Has He reversed your world? Have you done a 180 with Jesus Christ? Whatever, the old theologian says, whatever, Irenaeus, he says, whatever is not assumed in Christ is not healed. So what he means by that is, whatever is not taken into Jesus Christ, taken into God, is not healed. So if God doesn't take on humanity in the incarnation, in Jesus Christ, by Mary, humanity can't be healed of our sin problem. The sin is deep. It's in our nature. It's not in our flesh. Being human is fine. That's not sin. Jesus was human. To have a body is not sin. To be sexed is not sin. God became man and was sexed in Jesus Christ. And yet, He was without sin. It's not a sin to be tempted by sin. But instead, we're... We sin when we're drawn away by our own nature. James. By our own desire. That's what James talks about. That's the difference in Christ. He's not in the line of Adam. (laughs) Remember, the incarnation is about skipping over Adam. God, the Holy Spirit, conceives the Son, Jesus Christ, in Mary. There is no Adam line. He skips over Adam and becomes the new Adam. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the last Adam. Who becomes, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, becomes a life-giving spirit. Now you remember from our small group, life, breath. Jesus becomes a life-giving spirit to dwell in us to revive us, to resuscitate us, to renew us, recreate us, to reverse what Adam did, untangle us and free us. What a salvation! What a message that is. Has He done that in your life? Do you know that recreative power at work who is the Holy Spirit? Who can recreate your heart, reorient your nature. Just think about that. Not by a self-help book, but by faith. By obedience. By love. Those three things are kind of like a stool. 
You've seen these little three-legged stools. They're pretty strong. They're not easily tipped out or over. If we could have faith, obedience, and love at work in our life, that is the Christian life. It's what John says in First and 2nd and 3rd John. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ today? Are, are you living under the condemnation of Adam? That old way or the new way? Led by the pioneer himself, Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of a new creation, of a new community, the church. We are that community. We have this message of new life in Christ. We don't have to live this old Adamic life, but rather Christ. Jesus. It's what He's come to do. Has He done it in you though? Yeah, He's done it for the whole world. There's no doubt. But it must be appropriated, applied in your own heart as a received gift. It's out there. Will you receive it? Will you allow for the Holy Spirit to work in your heart to change the orientation from an inwardness, all mine, to God? And when we see God, we'll see other people. We'll see His creation newly. I remember when, 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 when Jesus did a new work in my life, entirely sanctified me at February 28, 1999, I, the trees looked to me as if they were praising God the next day. This is His world, not ours. This is His life, not yours. Will you let Him do this work in you? He can do it today. That's the good news. You don't have to wait around. It doesn't have to be some 20 year hit. He can do it today if you'll let Him. He can reverse what Adam has caused, what you have caused because you ultimately are Adam. We all choose that fruit. We all disobey. Will you let Him reverse what's been done? There's new life awaiting you. Eternal life. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Christianity, Jesus is the center. So I ask you just very bluntly, are you a Christian? That just simply means He's center. If not, you can be today. Amen.